Okay, Numbers 32. Numbers 32, where we'll begin. And like I stated, we'll try to get through both these chapters, 32 and 33. As we open, here is a rough map of the biblical world. And here is, uh, it's a little far north in this picture, but it's the the uh, Sea of Galilee flowing, and, and the Jordan River, which is a lot more windy than that, flowing into the Dead Sea. Now, there were three tribes, or two and a half tribes, that ended up over the east of Jordan. This was considered the promised land of Palestine. How did those, first of all, what were those tribes? Now, um, you remember Andy from Freshman Bible? Um, <laughs> remember that? Okay. Anybody else? Gad? Reuben? Okay. Reuben. Do you know the song? Reuben, uh, I do not know. Does Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh have their own song? No, there is a song of the tribe. Okay, yes, it is, it is a it is a song waiting to be written. I guess we're saying Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. I'm not, I'm not oh, there is a real song. There is a real song. Okay, I'm sorry. most people here know it. But does the song say which ones are on the other side of the Jordan? It does. Start, it? it start with Manasseh Gad Reuben. I mean, that's how I know. Yeah. yeah. I know the song. You taught us the song. We taught. Yeah. I taught well, the song. you did. You did teach us. Teach us something. And um, so uh, that is is very good. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. But Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh are the tribes that ended up on the east of the Jordan. So if you've known that song and you've known that fact. How did that happen? That happens, it unfolds in this chapter. In Numbers 32, what happens? And um, now, what is interesting is Manasseh will not be mentioned in this chapter until we get to verse 33. You know, Manasseh, if you're looking for Manasseh, in this chapter, you may think, well, well, when are they going to appear if you know the ultimate geography of the nation? But they do appear in verse 33. But the tribes of Reuben and Gad are mentioned quite frequently before then. I have down that before we get to verse 33, Reuben and Gad are mentioned six times. So Reuben and Gad are mentioned repeatedly. Uh, until we get to verse 33, and then it is Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. One thing that's interesting that I have to acknowledge that if I had known, I had forgotten, is that you notice in verse 1, the text mentions Reuben and Gad. Always thereafter, it's Gad that's mentioned first. Gad's mentioned. Is that significant? I don't know. Uh, Reuben was the firstborn and the oldest. That may indicate the reason why they are put first in verse 1. It may be that Gad is positioned first afterwards because Gad is the one who has more concern invested in this. 
Now, I want to admit, what I just said is speculation as far as the why. What we do know are the facts that that's the way the text is arranged. But let's look at verse 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5, they make a proposal to Moses. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jasser and the land of Gilead, for it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eliezer the priest and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Atheroth, uh, Debon, Jazer, Nimron, Heshbon, uh, Ella, La, um, hard to pronounce that, uh, Sebom, Nebo, Beon, uh, the land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have much livestock. They said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Now, a lot of emphasis is put on livestock. In verse 1, they had an exceedingly large number of livestock. Later in verse 1, it was indeed a place suitable for livestock. In verse 4, a land for livestock. Uh, So because of the abundance of livestock these groups possess, they ask for their inheritance here. couple of things. First of all, connecting this with its context. In Numbers 31, remember that they've conquered the Midianites and they've taken a great amount of livestock to themselves. So that may have only made the amounts of livestock grow uh, to a large degree. Now they already brought with them out of the land of Egypt a large number of livestock. You see that in Exodus 12, Exodus 12 and verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them, went up with them from the land of Israel, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. Now, what we have said applies to all the people, all the nation, in in Exodus 12.38, in Numbers 31. But we find from Numbers 32 that Reuben, Gad, and uh, later half the tribe of Manasseh will be particularly blessed in this particular regard. They will be particularly blessed with livestock. Now, this area is spoken of here. One of the names that is used for it, and it's used here even in this text, is the term uh, Gilead in verse in verse um, 1. Another term that's sometimes applied, and it seems like it particularly, it may be applied to the north, is the term Bashan. Do you remember 
anything about that term in the Old Testament? Can you can you remember any connection? What was that? The cows of Bashan or the bulls of Bashan. Uh, I think Amos uses that image in Amos 4.1. Maybe used a couple of other times. This is my point. They said, this is an exceedingly good land. The very fact that this area is called Bashan and later the bulls of Bashan or the cows of Bashan are referred to as being the uh, ex- examples of the best and most well-fed cattle in all the land show that they're right in all this assessment. This is a good land for livestock. And they're saying, we don't want to go over here we just want to stay and have our possession here. Now, this land too, it ties with the context. And this is a territory that they have conquered from Sihon and Og. They've conquered this. Numbers 21, they defeated Sihon, they defeated Og. And Og was described as king of Bashan, remember? But, but, but Sihon and Og, they take their land. But Moses... Is this the same Bashan that's in Psalm 22? Strong bulls of Bashan. Bulls of Bashan. Yes, the bulls of Bashan are mentioned there. Yes, it is the same place. Okay. And that's one of the... I think Amos 4.1 is one of the other references. There are a few scattered throughout the Old Testament. John? Is it in any way possible that these tribes were sent more fighting men to conquer? Because they ended up with the livestock of the bulk of it. Uh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. But it does seem like it was stated in Numbers 31 that there were a thousand from each tribe. I missed that. Okay. That was, I think it was around verses 2 and 3 okay. that that was stated. So uh, I think that probably there was equal representation in that respect. Uh, okay. okay. Thanks. Uh, 4 and 5, David says. But, but, this is the thing that we said. They make this proposal. It wasn't just, yeah, that's a good idea. Moses is really skeptical of this. Moses doesn't think it's a good idea at all. Moses is going to rebuke them quite strongly here. And let's see what he says. In verse 6, Moses said to the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves... Sit here. Why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? This is what the Lord, this is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel, so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day. And He swore, saying, None of the men who came up from Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. For they did not follow me fully, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. 
For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. To Moses, this is unbelief. What does he compare it to? The spies. The faithless spies. They had sent in Numbers 13 and 14. He makes reference to how they were at Kadesh Barnea, which was mentioned in Numbers 13, 26. They were at Kadesh Barnea. They sent, they, they sent uh, these uh, spies to search out the land, one from each tribe, and ten of them come, came back and said, we cannot take the land. Now, I want you to notice in the text that this is a new generation. He says in verse 8, this is what your fathers did. They are at the end of this wilderness period, about to go into the land of Canaan. They're at the end of it. He is referring to something that happened at the beginning or, or, or within the second year in Numbers uh, chapters 13 and 14. They have to be reminded of the story to some degree. I do think there are several things he says here that are significant. First of all, he speaks of the land in 32 verse 7 and verse 9 as the land the Lord God has given you. That may not be the exact quotation, but that is the idea. And that is also the idea in 32 verse 11, which is the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the point is, God has given you the land. Remember in Numbers 13 that the ten spies who come back never make reference to God's promises. They never make reference to what God had said. And here, Moses is emphasizing every time, when we go through the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see almost every time the land is mentioned, it said the land which the Lord your God gave you. Now, I know that saying something over and over can become redundant. But also saying something over and over is a good indication, or maybe it is a reminder to us, hey, we need to realize what we're saying. We need to get the point here. You know, I I try to remind myself, before I've gotten here this morning, there have been all kinds of blessings that the Lord has given me, that are very common. There is a safe night's breath. There is a warm house to wake up in. There is a shower, running water in our house. you know how many people in the world don't have that? And everything is what God has given us. All of it. All of it. And Moses wants to continually remind the people of the land the Lord has given them. He reminds them of that. And he said in verse 7 and in verse 9 that you are discouraging, you're discouraging your brothers. You're discouraging them and you're going to bring the burning Anger of God 
as a result of this. The Lord's anger burned in verse 10 and verse 13. And then you see a reference again in verse 14. So a reference to the Lord's burning anger. And what he is saying, he says, you are reduplicating this process. You are forgetting about the land the Lord your God promised to give you. You're discouraging your brother. And you're going to bring about the Lord's anger against you. And notice in verse 14, this this is going to have severe consequences on the whole community. If you turn away from following Him, He will once more abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. In other words, you're going to bring a great disaster on the people if you do this. You see, our actions impact more than just ourselves personally. And he thinks they are manifesting the same sinful attitude of their forefathers. Um, what questions do you have right here? What thoughts, John? Well, I like though in verse 4 where they do acknowledge that this was the land which the Lord conquered. So I give them credit for Oh, yes. Yes, the people. Usual. Good point. Good point. And I should have called attention to the fact that it's not Moses alone who has said that. And, and this is what I want you to ask. Is what Moses is saying here correct in an estimate of these people? Was the proposal that we're about to read, was that the purpose of Reuben and Gad from the beginning? Or was that something stated later to try to pacify Moses? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I don't know that we're given that. But but I think that's worthy of considering. Mary? Well, verse 5 says, do not take us over the Jordan. So I don't think they originally had intended to go help the others fight. Okay. So I kind of lean toward that. You lean toward that view. Okay. okay. I always assumed that that was their plan all along. Well, to, I have to... To go across and, and fight. But I have assumed... Point, I, I have assumed that. Yeah. In the past, but as I was kept reading this time, I said, "Why have I assumed that? I don't know if I've assumed that in basis." And, and Mary makes a good point. In connection with that, I was thinking about Judges five, where Reuben does not go and fight and help. That is true. He, that is true. Yeah, Reuben is rebuked. Great searchings of heart among Reuben. It's stated there. So, so yes, Josh. So. I've always wondered, is this part of the land what God intended to be the promised land? It does not seem originally this was in Moses' view. does not seem. Now, they were willing to to peacefully pass through the land of Sihon and Og if they would have let them. If they came out and met them with force... God said, don't fight with the Midianites, don't fight with the Edomites, don't fight with the Moabites or Ammonites. I I may have included one group more than once. But don't fight with them because they're related to you. He did not say that about Sihon and Og. They were told to fight them. But they would have peacefully passed through. But they resist. Um, Is that an example of how sin by wicked people 
even accomplishes God's purpose, they end up having more of a possession of the land than less of the possession. But it does not seem that this was in Moses' view. I want to tell you, though, something that bothers me about this whole account in Numbers 32. And I do not know if we are to assume this and it's not stated or if it didn't happen. They never inquire of God. They do not inquire. If they do, it's not recorded. That has been so out of the ordinary. You know, when we see Numbers 9, some people coming with the question about Passover, Moses inquires of the Lord, and the Lord gives them an answer. The daughters of Zelophehad, which, which Ryan taught a few weeks ago, um, they inquire of the Lord, the Lord gives them an answer. But here, you do not see that. Now, I don't think that automatically means Moses was just doing this on his own. It may have, because the precedent has been set, we may be thought that it follows it here. But but it's hard hard to say. It's interesting, chapter 34, when the borders of Israel are uh, explained, the land east is not included. Okay. Now, maybe it's just intended to cover what's in Canaan, but that, that, that makes me think about Josh's question, too. Yes, I, I know. That is a good question. That is a good question. But this is Reuben... In verses 16 through 19, after, after Moses rebukes them here, this is Moses, this is the, tri, the proposal of, of Gad and Reuben. In verse 16, they came near to him and said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place, while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of a land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. For we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because uh, our inheritance has fallen to us on the east side of the Jordan toward the sea. um, Or toward the east. Now, this is what they said. They say, okay, we will leave behind our little ones and our livestock. We will make cities for them. Remember, they didn't destroy every city through here. So some of the cities may have been rebuilt. I mean, it may not have needed to be rebuilt. But they apparently provide some kind of shelter for those who did not have it. They said, we will leave them behind and we will go fight for our brothers. We're not trying to discourage them. We're not trying to have the same attitude of unbelief that the nations are stronger than we are, they're mightier than we are, and we're we're afraid to go fight. We're not doing that. We're going to go and fight for our brothers. And when we have fought for our brothers and they have received their inheritance then we will come back home I will say that in the book of Joshua Reuben, Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh kept their commitment and it is called attention to quite frequently these are references from the book of Joshua in Joshua 1 verses 12 through 18 they set out to go across the Jordan Joshua 4 12 and 13 is a reference to them crossing the Jordan, these tribes specifically. And then we see in Joshua 22, them being sent back home. 
Really, the whole chapter deals with it. I could put verses 1 through 34, but the whole chapter deals with it. And there's some interesting things that happen there that you might remember. But these are the passages that show Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh kept their promise. And they went, they fought for their brothers and they cleaned out this land or, or, or cleared it of the inhabitants. And then they left this inheritance for their brothers. And uh, so Moses, when he hears this, he accepts the request. In verse 20, Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you'll arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before you, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of this obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel. And this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. Moses says, okay, if you'll go and you'll fight for your brothers and after you, if you've done what, if you do what you promised, you can come back and this will be your inheritance. Now, if you do not do this in verse 30, in verse 30, if you will not cross over, it's 32 verse 30. Um, but if you will not cross over with the, with you armed, if they will not cross over with you armed, they shall have a possession among you in the lands of Canaan. So, so, right, yes, you're allowed to have this inheritance. Now, if you don't fight, you're gonna be, you're gonna have the land over here. Now, he does state the alternative in verse 23, that if you don't go fight, you've sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. That's, that's a proverbial <laughs> statement that we, we be sure your sin will find you out. I love that statement. It makes a powerful preaching point. I sometimes wonder uh, the way it's thrown out and the people, in the times I've heard it quoted, I think, how many people are familiar with the context in which it's quoted? If you don't go and fight for your brothers uh, in this circumstance, then you have sinned. You've done wrong. And in your sin will find you out. But um, so Moses grants their proposal. And like I stated, the thing that troubles me is there is no specific reference to inquiring of God. And I don't know exactly what to do with it, Katrina. I think another point to. Maybe they're they're pacifying Moses and maybe not total faith is in verse 17. It says, And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. So they're still, it seems like they're still scared of the people in the land even though they're willing to fight because they want their kids on the other side away from it. Now, I might miss that connection there. You said they're afraid of the inhabitants of the land on the west of Canaan or the east of Canaan? On the west. Because they said they want their kids in the fortified cities on the east side. Well, yes, it, it it would be a very difficult process anyway to bring children and livestock to war. And how that yeah. worked, I don't know. Well, I just think it's interesting. They, they're they basically saying, hey, we want our kids safe on the seaside. Yes. But we'll we'll go with you and fight. Yes. And, but they still don't mention that they're fighting with God or, mm-hmm. you know, that he's going to take care of it. They'll, okay. Just like, but I guess, I guess we'll be brave enough to go do that. Okay. 
Yes, it could be. And, and like John stated earlier in verse uh, 4 and 5, they do emphasize the Lord gave them the land. They do express some obedience in Joshua, in the book of Joshua. And that's, that's why I, I want to have a good impression of, of these tribes. Um, I, I will stay to one passage that I wanted to bring up. And this is where I thought you were going, Katrina, with the question. And uh, then I realized at the end that may not be. But, but God told the people, and this is a passage that I really find fascinating. In Exodus thirty four twenty four, he says, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your border, and no man will covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. In a certain sense, I would say, too, leaving their wives and little ones behind could be viewed as an act of faith in God's protection of those children while they are away from them. Yeah, it seems like Moses has two concerns, the lack of trust in God and then the, the how that would impact everyone else. And they show trust in God by leaving their little ones behind, it seems like to me. And then by them going to war, then they there's no, no impact on everyone else about this lack of faith. They don't want to go fight. They're afraid yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's a good summary. At the same time, I see an el- possibly an element of sadness here. The people who get left behind in the cities on the east side don't get to participate in the crossing over of the Jordan on dry land like the previous generation got to do with the Red Sea. They don't get to see um, God working in the fight against Jericho and all of those spoils going to God. And Yeah. Well, they say basically have to hear about the rebellion that took place at Jericho, and mm-hmm. you know that's rebellion in their own time, and how God dealt with that, and so they're not with the rest of their tribes. Yeah, that is interesting, and I, I really I say I haven't thought about that. It's a good observation of some things they missed out on seeing because of that. And talking about if they were inquired of the Lord, in verse 27, um, the people of Gad and Reuben say, as my Lord orders, which from what I understand could be both ways, it could be yeah. saying like as Moses, as like the mm-hmm. Moses being Lord here, or mm-hmm. it could be the other way. But then in verse um, 32, I think, 31, uh, people of God and Reuben say what the Lord, meaning Yahweh, has said to your servants, we will do. Um, so I think for verse 32, 31, we okay. can okay. that, that is a good point. It is a good point. The, the Lord is invoked there, and it does say, as the Lord has said to your servant. As the Lord has said. I do think the Lord in verse 27 is probably referenced to Moses. But, but, but that is a good point and, uh, I need, I need to make note, make note of that. Um, I'd actually, I had actually included something about the word of the Lord in my notes here, but it, I had not, that had not registered in my thinking well enough. You know, at a minimum, I think it, it points out that what we say we need to realize what we say can can impact 
people in a negative way if we've not thought through fully yeah. the words that we have chosen. Whether they intended, oh, we're going to go over and fight with you. They didn't say it. Yeah. And so the words they used led to an impression that impacted Moses yeah. and maybe others if they had simply been more forthright, if that was really their intention from the beginning, all that could have been yeah. maybe averted. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It, it it still could have had you know, it still could have been when people heard this they were discouraged and all the other tribes said, Well we like it too, you know, we've got livestock. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. Be, the, to to be careful of the words and their impact on the community. The possessions that were given to these various tribes are mentioned of Gad in thirty four through thirty six, uh in Reuben in thirty eight or 37 and 38, and then Manasseh from verses 39 through verse uh, 42. And uh, so you see various regions given to them. Now, I want us to go, I want us to try to get Numbers 33 today. Does anybody else have a thought about that? That did engender more questions than I was expecting, but there were good ones and good thoughts. Why half of the tribe of Manasseh? Um, I don't know because they're not the most populous tribe. You know, why were they divided up like that? Uh, I I don't know, um, but that's uh, and you know in Manasseh is going to be the daughters of Zelophehad are from the tribe of Manasseh and they're going to be worried there. They get so much of a land allotment, and well, we, we don't want to lose any of this land. So I don't know what that tells us about Manasseh. Um, but um, thirty three, I would like to try to go through this. I know that this is a hard chapter to be visiting for. I have to apologize for those of you that are visiting. It's, it's, not, it's not that it's, it's God's Word and we love every syllable. But it is hard to walk in on numbers. You know, you're all of a sudden just reviewing every step of the wilderness here. But what this does is it tells us where all they stopped now, I, I'll admit, I didn't count up every name, okay, as far as the numbers. Uh, some say that with where you start, that they, they camp in Numbers 33 at 40 places. They camp at 40 places. Now, I, I'll admit, you're going to have to look this up and test me because it's the numbers. And that the 40 places may tie... To the forty years. That's what's one suggestion people get. Well, uh, uh, somebody else came. As a matter of fact, I think it was the same author who got the number forty-two because he said you start at one place and you finish at one, but you camp at forty along the way, and you got forty-two places. And forty-two. Remember in the genealogy in Matthew one one through seventeen that you have 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 from David to uh, to carry away captivity and 14 from David to Christ. Now, I won't tell you. I could preach that. <laughs> I, I, I could make it preach. Uh, but, 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 you know, as far as... But from this standpoint, from this standpoint, what would this tell us? What it would tell us is that the number 42 is repeated and that Jesus leads... To the real promised land. Now, I believe all that's true, 
But is it contained in this number of places they count? I'm not so sure about that. But but again, if you can convince me, good, because, man, that'd be a good sermon. Um, but... But, but here in Numbers 33, some of these places we will be familiar with. But we will run into a lot of places, particularly from around verse 18 to about verse 36, and we don't know anything about. Uh, but, but let's pick out some of them we do know about. He, he mentions in verse 2, verse 2, Moses recorded their starting place according to their journeys by the command of the Lord... And these are the journeys according to their starting places. So they, they're doing this at God's direction. Remember the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. When the cloud stayed, they stayed. When the cloud moved, they moved. The journey begins in 33, verse 3. On the 15th day of the first month. First month, 15th day. The day after... The Passover. Passover, the firstborn of Egypt are killed. And verse 4 makes reference to this. Verse 4 said the Egyptians are burying their firstborn, uh, and the Lord struck them down, and the Lord executed judgment on their gods. That statement that, that the gods of Egypt are judged is also made in Exodus 12, verse 12. So many of the plagues strike and what the Egyptians worshipped is God. And God was showing that your gods are not God. I am God. And it mentions Ramses and Succoth in verse 5. You see these places mentioned in Exodus 12 and verse 37. And the text tells us that from there uh, they move to uh, Atham in 33.6. And we see that mentioned in Exodus 13 verse 20. It's in that context that we are told that they are carrying Joseph's bones with them. As Joseph asked them to do, he said, I know the Lord will bring you out of here and the Lord will bring you into uh, the promised land. And they're carrying his bones. They are there. In verse um, 7, the Bible talks about Pihahiroth and uh, and counts were being dope. These are the places that are described when, when Pharaoh has a change of heart and Pharaoh says, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to go after Israel. And then you find the great miracle in verse 8 of passing through the mist of the sea. Passing through um, the mist of the sea into the wilderness. And then they go a three days journey. Uh, they cross the sea. And it's... it's uh, Josh mentioned earlier they're about to reduplicate that kind of experience in the crossing of the Jordan. Uh, then they go to, uh, in verse 8, um, it said, verse 8 and 9, Mara. And this was the place, remember, in Exodus 15, that the waters were bitter. 
on the text goes, and we finally make it down. There are a couple of there are other places that are mentioned, like the wilderness of sin in verse um, eleven is where they complain, of, and, and God sent them quail. And then you find in verse in verse fourteen. You find a reference to Rephidim where the people had no water to drink. Now that's recorded in Exodus 17. What did God say in that occasion to do to the water? Or do to, to create water? Strike the rock and water will come out of it. So these events, that what they do, what it does, it is... One of the things I think it shows us, we are to regard these events as actual history. It is not simply a fairy tale. There are specific places they count. There are places they went. Some of them we know about from other things in the biblical record. Some of them we do not know about from other from uh, elsewhere. But it is meant to be historical. That's one thing. It reviews the great acts of God on behalf of Israel. Listen. They are about to go and to fight nations stronger and mightier than they are. What assurance did they have of victory? What assurance they have is that God struck down all the gods of Egypt. God, God divided the Red Sea that they could cross over. When the waters were too bitter to drink, Moses throws in a tree and the bitter waters are turned sweet. When they are hungry, God feeds them with manna and quail. And when there is no water, Moses hits the rock and water comes out of it. It is a reminder of the mighty acts of God on their behalf. So it is a historical record. It is a reminder of God's mighty acts. And I'll tell you another thing that this does. This account as a whole, it kind of helps us. It places some things in a chronological picture, chronological sequence. For example, when we get to X to, to Numbers thirty uh, three verses thirty seven through thirty nine about the death of Aaron, we read some specifics that we were not told in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20 had recorded his death. It had recorded the place of his death. But here we find specifically that this was the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year in verse 38. So what this does, it shows a historical account Maybe if you put it in that order, it gives us a better chronology. And it reminds us of the mighty acts of God. The mighty acts of God on behalf of the people. When we get to verse 18, to verse 36, we have a list of campsites 
that have no parallels really in the book of Numbers. There is an allusion in Deuteronomy 10 verses 6 and 7 to something similar to this. When we get to 37, we start seeing connections more with things that we can trace in uh, the book of Exodus and Numbers. For example, look at verse 40. We've already described the death of Aaron. The death of Aaron in Numbers 33, 37-39 goes back to chapter 20, to Numbers 20, verses 22-29. Verse 40 goes back, the king of Arad goes back to Numbers 21. Remember, he came out to meet Israel. He came out to meet Israel. And the Bible tells us that Israel makes a vow that if you will give me their land, if you, if you will give them into our hands, we will totally destroy them. And that, and that happens. Again, it is a reminder of what God has done, of the victories that He has accomplished on behalf of the people. Other place names have been mentioned since then uh, as well. Uh, I would say too that while it also, um, it, it, while it, this is also a reminder of God's mighty works, it is also a statement of the people's failures as well. It's, for example, look at verse in verse um, 15, verse 16 at Kibroth Hatava. Okay? Numbers 33, 16. What do you remember about Kibroth Hatava? Do you remember? That's where they lusted after quail and God struck them while it's between their teeth. That's stated in Numbers eleven thirty four. You didn't think in a list of encampments and you see a story of God's grace. But you do. You see it with contrast to people's sin, with God's gracious acts on their behalf. And we could we could expand on that idea of their sin. Because every time they're complaining about water and stuff, that's a sin. That's an unbelief. Okay, let's let's close this off unless you've got questions or a good insightful comment. John's got an insightful. Well, is or he's raising so they, a question. They, they leave Egypt. They cross the Red Sea in verse eight. They arrive at Mount Sinai in verse sixteen, uh, uh, fifteen, and then it appears in verse sixteen with Kibroth Hatava and on. Is this then the new generation but heading for the Promised Land? See, remember, remember what we have from. Exodus 19, they come to the mountain and they stay there. in the third month. They stay there less than a year. They stay there a little less than one year, but that encompasses everything from Numbers 10, verse 10. So, I mean, a lot of our, what we know of the wilderness is a very concentrated portion. A concentrated portion, I, and I'm taking it from the way this, this Numbers 33 dates things, that starting from Numbers 20 on, we're dealing with the last few months. Right. 
you know, so so you've got you know a lot of this wilderness time where not much is recorded. But yes, it does seem like the Kibroth Atava comes. That is the previous generation, I think. But 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 it, but it comes. It would come. Because still, after they send the spies in, that's where they told they're going to wander forty years. It was going to be a shorter trip than that at that particular point in Numbers thirteen and fourteen. Okay, but but God says if you don't drive these people out, they're going to be thorns in your side. And He states that in verses fifty through fifty six. In verse. 55, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of a land from before you, it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes, as thorns in your sides, and they shall be, they shall trouble you in the land in which you live. It shall come about that as I plan to do to them, so I will do to you. Joshua 23, 13 says the same kind of thing. If you don't drive them out. I, I understand. We wonder, why does God say totally destroy these people in verses 50 through 56? Why does God say God in His foresight may know all the problems that would have been caused if these people lived? I have heard people ask this. If God knows all things, why does He let a man like Hitler be born? You know, in this story, really, even takes a more interesting twist. When you know, and I'm, not, and I'm no expert on Hitler, but I do know this: he had a little brother that died at a very young age, and and he was, and his parents did not attend the funeral because they were at odds with the local priest. He was the only one that attended the funeral. He, that was one of the few facts that I've ever read about the man that made me feel sympathy for him. Because that was the only friend he had in childhood, and his child brother died. And but we, we can ask, why in God's wisdom does the brother die instead of him? How do we know the brother wouldn't have been worse? How do we know that? We don't know. We're going to have to just trust the God who knows all things, who's given us evidence that He knows all things, and give us evidence that He loves us. We're going to have to trust Him with the difficulties and perplexities of history, which I acknowledge are, are great. But how may it have been? You know, how many times has God prevented people like that rising to power? Lord willing, we're going to try to get into 34 and 35 on Wednesday night. Thank you for being here. No.